I'm Danita. And hi, I'm David. Catch our show, School Days, help for moms and dads of school-aged kids. Look, we've been married for 14 years and have three school-aged children. We both work in the field of education. We have the same struggles helping our kids academically just like any other parent. So we want to share what we've learned and invite experts to share with us so we can all learn together. Join us Tuesdays from 11 to noon in the Blue Bowl. On FishbowlRadioNetwork.com. Jump in. Good morning. Welcome to School Days. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm David Bailey. So today's episode will be a bit of a departure from our regular episodes. So School Days, as a lot of you know, but some of you may not know, was born out of David's and my journey of helping our kids successfully navigate the waters of academics. And he and I are both educated and we are in education. David taught for 10 years, but we still struggle and we have questions. So we strive to answer questions with our show. Many of the parents have, and um, that's kind of that's kind of why we started School Days. Yeah. So so for this episode, we decided to do something kind of off of what we, uh, our regular plan. So we hit the streets. Uh, we went to the malls. We went to shopping centers. We went to um, games and asked parents those hard burning questions uh, that they want to know about issues in education. Um, and so instead of us um, doing um, our prescriptive questions, uh, we went straight to the parents and asked them what frustrates them, what challenges them, and um, just really anything they wanted to know. And we want to tap into the experts uh, that can help us to get some of those questions answered today. So we're really excited about that. So we've invited two people who have a combined 62 years of experience in education <laughs> to answer these questions and any questions that you guys have that are listening out there. But before we go any further, let me, let me just say, we say this every week, it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show and hashtag I Am School Days. And also, especially today, more than any day, we want you guys to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-431-5062. So Dave, who do we have with us today? So it is my honor to introduce Dr. Buddy Bonner. Uh, he is a career educator who has served a local public school district for almost 30 years. During that time, Dr. Bonner has taught middle school students language, arts, and social studies, worked as a middle school administrator, lead, um, led and supervised 21 campuses, educating 16,000 students, and um, has been engaged in all facets of human resources leadership. For the past five years, Dr. Bonner has served as an assistant superintendent for employee services, Dr. Bonner is a member of the Texas Association of School Administrators, Texas Association of School Personnel Administrators, Louisville Noon Rotary, and previously as a board member for Special Abilities of North Texas. Dr. Bonner received his Bachelor's of Science degree in Political Science from the University of North Texas, his Master's of Science degree in Educational Administration from the University of North Texas, and his Doctorate of, of education from Dallas Baptist University. Away from work, Dr. Bonner is married to Rebecca Bonner, who is an elementary art teacher and soon-to-be school counselor. Together, they have five children ranging in age from 12 to 23, 
and attended, how do you pronounce the name of your church? Treach United Methodist Church. Okay, Treach United Methodist Church. I wanted to say Treach, but I said, like, <laughs> oh, I don't know, Treach, right? Yeah, so, but anyway, yes. So, Treach United Methodist Church. So, we're really glad you're here, Dr. Bond. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I'm uh, going to enjoy this. This will be good fun. Yes. So, also, we have Belinda Nickel, and she's a retired educator from Louisville Independent School District. She obtained both her bachelor's and master's in education from the University of Oklahoma. She has 32 years of experience in education, 12 years as a science teacher, and 20 as a principal. Her school, Heritage Elementary, was a U.S. Blue Ribbon School in 2001 and was exemplary every year during her tenure. She was an adjunct professor at Oral Roberts University for summer math and science academics. And you also have a scholarship in your name uh, at the Louisville Education Foundation. So that's awesome. So thank you guys so much for joining us. And we are really excited about this show. And uh, as David said, we did hit the streets and we had a lot of people with a lot of questions. So uh, we're just going to jump right in. Uh, first of all, we had a lot of questions about STAR. Um, so a whole lot about stars. Yeah. <laughs> so we interviewed people, so we're going to just play our first one here. My name is Dwight Fletcher from Dallas, Texas. My question would be, how do you strike a balance between having great teachers who try to teach kids how to, te how to learn, how to think for themselves, versus teachers who are strictly teaching to the test, and they only cover the, the topics necessary to achieve higher scores on these on these standardized tests okay <laughs> well as an elementary principal I always strive to find the best of the best and mm -hmm. oftentimes we that's something teachers never like to hear as they teach to the test mm -hmm. we don't like the stars test we didn't like any of the standardized testing but that's something that you know we have to do and I think what a lot of the teachers, they're very good about mixing. You know, they still do the creative projects and they still do what's required to prepare the students for a standardized test. Mm -hmm. uh, my job as an elementary principal was to make sure that they just weren't teaching to the test as far as uh, making it such, so, so rigorous that the kids are nervous and that, mm -hmm. they, uh, that they dread it. Uh, so they try to blend it in, and that's with our curriculum, and I know with Louisville, they did a wonderful job. We have a lot of curriculum directors, and they would write the curriculum for us, and, and a lot of it is um, intertwined into the daily lessons, and they don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. It's been my experience as a middle school classroom teacher and a middle school administrator, and what I look for now as a human resources professional, if you hire teachers or if you are a teacher and you uh, teach critical skills and you approach the curriculum in that fashion you're going to cover the the basic uh, basics of standardized testing mm -hmm. um, you'll also have a more engaged classroom where children will want to be participating and enjoy class and learn uh, if you strive for the highest levels of instruction uh, you're addressing critical thinking skills addressing rigor uh, doing that and differentiating along the way for students who need the help uh, you'll address everything you need to address in STAR. And okay. That sounds very simple, but that's been my experience as an educator. Um, just for our audience, could you uh, just clarify what, when you say differentiating, that's just good. so you know, what, what does that mean sure. um, in the classroom setting? And I'm going to lean on uh, Dr. Nickel here as well to, to hopefully <laughs> augment my answer, but um, uh, one size does not fit all. 
for kiddos. Right. If you're teaching a concept about math, and I'm not a math teacher, but I'll just use math as an right. example. If you're teaching a concept about math and uh, this half of the student class gets it, but the other half does not, then you need to look at a different way to teach that content. Mm -hmm. uh, come at it a different way. There's more than one way to skin the cat, right? Right. So uh, different, uh, a different approach. Um, uh, in that teaching that concept and you should have that as a classroom teacher built into the lesson cycle you know, yeah I'm going to teach it this way but then for augmentation and enrichment I'm going to do these things would you would you concur with that exactly we have some kids that are very tactile learners there's right. some kids that are visual some that can get it just in, in lecture so you do have to differentiate you have to spread the curriculum around and find out how your students learn mm -hmm. and that makes more of a, a, a heterogeneous classroom, so to speak, mm -hmm. because you're not teaching just to one skill set. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that, you know, it's good for for us as parents to know is how does our child learn? Is there Are there resources that we can go to somewhere where we can test our child so that we can find out are they kinesthetic, are they auditory? Yes. Because uh, that, that affects how we help them at home, too. Right. Um, well... On, <laughs> on, uh, on Noggin Educational, uh, NogginEducation.com, our website, we actually have a questionnaire. This is a part of a DNA of our, as far as how we do our coaching sessions with our students. And so, but this can be open for anyone, um, is there are, we do a learning styles inventory. Right. Uh, so that uh, every parent, we share with every parent how their child learns. And then uh, we can show them specifically you know, strategies as far as how to help them learn at home uh, based on how they're wired uh, as well. Uh, so if you go to nogginEducation.com and then go on, uh, there's a tab that says more, and then click on that, then it says uh, student assessments. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to see that there, and there's a learning styles inventory. Uh, we also cover you know, other things as well. Time waster surveys is other things that kind of factor into learning as well. But if you want to specifically find out about how your child learns, uh, you just go on our website and click on more and then student assessments and uh, it'll come to me. Then I can freely share that with any, any family who wants to know more about that. Yeah, learning style inventory for kiddos is a great idea. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we have one for uh, K through 5th mm -hmm. and then one for 6th through 12th. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well we have a Keeping along the lines of STAR, we have a mom from Fort Worth who said, I have a third grade son who will take the STAR test this year. He does not meet the district standards for dyslexia, but because he was so close on his assessment and because he, he exhibits dyslexia type tendencies, his principal has provided resources to him throughout the year. He just shared with me his deeply rooted anxiety about taking the test next week, sharing a fear of performance and not being able to pass the test to get into fourth, fifth, and sixth grades. He also shared that he cares about learning and wants to do well, but feels like the test is a barrier to his learning. These words are his, not mine. My question is, how and for what reasons can a parent pull their child from the STAR testing? As an administrator, when do you advocate for this, if ever? I did run into that quite a bit of time, quite several times. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, years ago, third grade was had to be no pass, no no promote. Mm -hmm. You know, if they didn't pass it, they 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 had that kind of pressure as a third grader. You know, mm -hmm. we're talking nine year olds. Right. And I totally empathize with with this parent um, because he is so close to being dyslexic uh, and didn't qualify for their program. Uh, they could possibly be 504, mm -hmm. and those accommodations could help him throughout his 
his education career, right. even into college, where they could do accommodation where he has extended time on the test. Mm -hmm. He could have the questions read to him on the test. Mm -hmm. These are just some of the accommodations that they can make that might ease his frustration and also his fear. Um, and it's a shame that we have that kind of pressure on a third grader. Mm -hmm. But his willingness to want to do well, uh, and I do admire the parent being an advocate for their child and, and for the administrators and for that teacher. Mm -hmm. But um, that's something that she could possibly look into as, as, as qualifying for 504. That's great. I agree with Dr. Nickel 100%. You know, she dealt with See, that I've more at promoted. the elementary level <laughs> than, than, than we did at middle school, right? Because mm -hmm. um, certainly not third grade in middle school. But, um, you know, you really have to reach out to the campus principal and even that special ed department, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, to get the, the, the assistance you need. And that's what I would recommend to any parent in, in charter school, private school, traditional public school. Uh, you know, we're, we're community service. We're public servants, and so we're there to help. And so that's that's what I would recommend um, on the, the bureaucratic side, right? Mm -hmm. Help your kiddo for sure, mm -hmm. but what services are available and how do I get those? And if, you know, if you knock on one door and it's not open, keep knocking on doors. Right. You know, Absolutely. So. That's important. I can remember a story that I can share. I had a father, and he called his daughter. Is This is when that was with the tax days, and she did not pass in third grade, and mm -hmm. so she was going to have to repeat third grade. And he was so upset, and he took it out on me, understandably. I'm the administrator. <laughs> and um, oh, it was a chewing out I'll never forget. But I will tell you, I was so sympathetic and empathetic with this man. I agreed with him 100%. Mm -hmm. I encouraged him to call his legislatures and change, and they did make a change, taking third grade out of that pool. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm happy to say that his daughter, she had a fear of taking tests. Yeah. But um, she went on to the University of Florida, graduated, and now just recently graduated from the Parker University and is a chiropractor. Oh, that's wonderful. And so, right. I mean, those are some stories that, you know, but it was her fear of test taking. Yeah. Okay, well, we have another question here. This is Trina. Let's see what she has to say. Hi, my name is Trina Latour from Mansfield, Texas, and I would like to know how did STAR testing get its roots? Also, is there any legislation currently that is looking to replace or eliminate star testing in Texas? That is a great question. Um, do you mind if I jump on this one? Please. So STAR is the latest iteration of the assessment regime in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. It goes all the way back to the late 1980s, mid-1980s, when Ross Perot uh, uh, chaired a committee at the legislature's request to build accountability into public schools. Uh, the TEAMS test, or the TABS test, was a result of that, and subsequent to the the that that committee in the 80s, we've had TEAMS or TABS, I forget which one was first, uh, toss, toss, tax, yeah. mm -hmm. star. So to the caller's question, there will be another iteration after star. Mm -hmm. It has not been put in development yet, I don't think. Uh, I say that with almost certainty. My entire career has had some form of standardized testing as an outcome for kiddos. Uh, I do not see the state stepping away from it because there is an accountability measure that uh, the public demands. Mm -hmm. uh, whether Ms. Nickler or I mm -hmm. or any of us believe that's good for kids or not is, is really not the point. Uh, there's the accountability piece that the legislature has in place. And so um, uh, I've, I've kind of deviated a little bit from the caller's question, but um, uh, I do not believe that accountability will go away. Uh, and I feel certain that there will be another measure of student performance after STAR. 
And I, I, in my own personal opinion, it should not go away. We do need to hold our country accountable mm-hmm. to meeting standards that are going to make sure that our education system is working for our kids. But we've had so many iterations of it because it hasn't been the best. And right. so we're still basically working on it. It should absolutely be in. Now, this is Buddy Bonner's opinion. Mm-hmm. It should absolutely be uh, the accountability measure should be assessed and it should be dialed down. Uh, in my opinion, because I do think it's gone overboard. Uh, I think in instances like the the last question, it's not good for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, a kiddo of my own that I pay for, that's uh, 19, and she doesn't like testing either. Mm-hmm. You know, and it 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 it's uh, held her back a little bit. Um, and so, um, from a from a student centered standpoint, um, you know, it, I believe it needs to be dialed down. But I, I would agree with you. We are a tax supported entity in public mm-hmm. education. And, uh, you know, accountability is not a bad thing. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, so we have another question from Kyrie M. in DeSoto, Texas. And her question is, what are your thoughts about standardized testing being used to determine a teacher's pay and pay raises? Well, I'll Got jump a little on chuckle that. out of Belinda exactly. for that one. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll pass it to, to Dr. Bonner because he has so much experience in human resources. But and she is a teacher, by the way. Oh, good. Kyrie well, and it was one of those things where uh, they did take it away, you know, there for a while. And in some districts, they have localized it where they still connect it to the, you know, bonuses or that sort of thing mm-hmm. if they meet all criteria and exceed. But it's not fair. The teachers do not have any control over the students that they get. Right. And that, that I think, is the huge point as far as why would, let's say, Highland Park and Southlake, those teachers would get all of these big bonuses because their kids are acing the test. And let's go to Wilmer Hutchins that was having some trouble. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? It's not fair. And so that I think that I think the legislation has finally kind of figured that out. But again, some local districts still are trying to tie that to performance. And Mm -hmm. I I personally don't feel it's correct. It's right. There was another run at this in the the early 90s merit pay called Career Ladder for Teachers. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, it it terminated when the state decided not to fund it any longer okay so money was was a problem uh currently this is an issue at the legislature right uh merit pay for teachers performance pay for teachers there are several districts dallas is one of them that has a plan in place and dallas isd will tell you they like their plan but the funding's unsure so Mm -hmm. you know it all goes down to that dollar at the end of the day and to miss nichols point you know which kids if we all teach classes, I want an equitable distribution of kiddos. That way I have the right. same fighting chance everybody in the room. But that's not always necessarily what is best for that campus, best for those kids. Um, and then there's one other thought. You know, when you, when you introduce money to an issue and if you build a zero-sum game, right, mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to terminate the level of community that's necessary on oh, campus yeah. and you're going to terminate the level of sharing and collegiality and so i've got some real concerns with it i think it's a good idea in principle everybody would like to make some more money but i think the devil's in the details and and i've not seen a plan yet where the details are such that it's fair and equitable to everyone right you know and i'll just say whenever we get you know our district benchmark scores uh as a teacher um you know you you want to say that you're just looking at your own scores and, and no, how am no. I did? I'm not going to lie. I'm looking at my, my, my peers as well. But, you know, but every classroom is different. You know, my 
I, I had a cluster I had almost all pre-AP. I had one gen ed uh, track and, and three pre-AP courses. So that wouldn't be fair to compare my scores to someone who has, I had kids who had, you know, uh, four or five, you know, special ed students and you know, several with multiple 504 plans in place. And so, you know, that that's not that's not fair. You'd want to measure growth in that instance, right? Uh, of course, absolutely. You'd want to measure growth, but but sometimes those plans don't do that. Right. They would just measure, you know, capping out on the assessment measure. So it's it's uh, it's a nettlesome issue for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's currently in the legislature, and, and we'll see what they decide to do by uh, the end of this month. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's an excellent point that Dr. Bonner made is the – selfishness that it creates among your teams mm -hmm. uh, we all are competitive enough where we, like you said david we all look at our own scores but i can remember going down to the team and saying here's your scores mm -hmm. and how they celebrated together mm -hmm. and i would that's hate great. to see you know individuals not share the curriculum that's working with others just because they want that as dr bonner said they want that monetary they rabbit you know at the end and that's not right right mm -hmm. yeah and we, we, we were very transparent as a team we know we were very tight-knit, uh, which I loved. Uh, shout out to my team, uh, all the teams I've worked with in the past. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it's just always trying to fight that, that comparison mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. anyway, we, we, I could go on this forever, but there's more. But wait, it's a, no, it's a one-hour show. Yes, yeah, I, I saw my... Well, well the, the questions you all are asking, we could do an hour on each question. That's oh true. Yes. Yes. That's why we're going to move on from STAR. Yeah. So we yeah. have um, Unita here who had another question. Hi, this is Unita from Dallas. So my husband and I have three school-age sons and we've been all about finding the right educational fit for them. We've invested in private education, then we switched to a co-op homeschool environment, and now the public school system. Uh, I'd say that we tend to favor private education just because of its rigor, its environment, and the overall expectation level that we desire for our kids. But we can't afford private school times three right now. So my question is, what is your advice to parents facing this challenge? And what tips would you suggest to get the best of both worlds? Well, Yanita, that's an excellent question that a lot of parents are faced with. And you have to look at your financial uh, situation. When you're spending so much money on private education, K through 12, will you have enough money left for college? Mm. And this is huge for parents. Very valid. Um, I was always proud of being an, a public educator. I'm not saying that charter or private are not great ways to go, uh, but I think it's finding the right fit for your learner. Um, but I know Dr. Bonner is an expert when it comes to comparing charter education to public ed, and I'll turn that over to him. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go real global here now that Miss Nichols said. Uh uh, kind of teed me up there but you know I would I would uh, encourage Unita and, and her family to uh, wherever they land just get real involved mm. right uh, right uh, public schools are rigorous uh, uh, just as private schools are rigorous and charter schools are rigorous uh, I would get real involved and I would become very known by the campus staff uh, I would take opportunity to push my child into programs of excellence uh, AP classes, pre-AP classes, gifted and talented right. classes, et cetera. That rigor is absolutely there. Um, I think uh, by becoming involved in the campus, PTA, making sure the principal, administrator, teachers know you, uh, you will have a good grasp on expectations and can even influence those expectations. So uh, I would I would say that applies to any school, whatever the, whatever the, the organizing structure of it is. Mm -hmm. 
Alright, we have another question here about school type from Marin. Hi, my name is Marin Moore from Plano, Texas. How would you advise parents wrestling with what type of school is best for their child and family in regards to selecting either a public school or charter school or private school or even homeschooling? Kind of a repeat of the previous question, but still a very, very good question. And I think it's exactly what Dr. Bonner said. Get involved and find out word of mouth is probably one of the best things as mm -hmm. far as, mm -hmm. you know, comparing what's best for your child um, and what's available in your community. Uh, you know, if you're going to be spending, you know, an hour and a half commuting to a school that's further away, you've lost a lot of academic time right there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those are just some things that you need to look at, but also what kind of learner your child is and what's going to be the best for their situation. You know, so. you know, one thing we used to do, and I know that Melinda's mm -hmm. campus did it as well, is we do, we do campus visits, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if a parent That's came good. up and said, hey, I would love to come tour the middle school I worked at, well, come on up. Uh, you know, we, we want to show you what we were about and what we're doing. And so uh, under the broader heading of do your homework, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say that about uh, public schools and private schools and, and charter schools. Uh, I'd, I'd put homeschooling over to a separate entity because – by by its nature that's the parent or a caregiver doing the instruction and i, I think that's a whole different kettle of fish and i'm not qualified to speak to that my mm -hmm. sister did that uh while uh, her kiddos were uh, all up to all the way up to high school and they're very successful with it mm -hmm. that's a different level of commitment but on the others do your homework you know and and become involved and and uh and and shop you know know what your kiddo needs and 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 find that it's out there it's out there. I'm going to say it's at a traditional public school, but because that's my experience, right? You know? And we had we've we've tried both uh, both ways, not including homeschool. Uh, we had our children in public school, and then we had them in a charter school, uh, which worked and did until it did not work. And now we have mm -hmm. them in public school again. So, what are there some resources or places that you can go to kind of start doing your homework? I think the best thing to start is just visit, like Buddy said, make mm -hmm. those campus visits. One of the things that we did at our campus, and I think was very successful, because you don't you don't know, have any idea what's coming in that front door. So we would do a questionnaire for kindergartners coming in, trying to find as much as we could about that student. And then when we had students later on, I had the teachers put classes together and we had a true heterogeneous mix instead of a homogeneous class because that way you had the same amount of high average and low in every class so a teacher's not getting stacked with like all the low or all the high and then I also would take some parent input you know naturally mm -hmm. I wouldn't say oh well, we want Mr. Bonner because we heard he's so cool and the kids <laughs> love him and all of this not you know we have to <laughs> he had a good reputation he seemed pretty cool to me no, he did he had a great reputation <laughs> not but at all you do have to kind of say well my child needs a structured teacher or my mm -hmm. child needs an empathetic teacher my child is very fragile you know and communicate that to the administrator and that way we all know that the bottom line is no matter if you're in a charter, a public, or a private institution, that instructor is the key. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, that's the best thing that a parent can do is to advocate for their child and find what the best match is. So that's a great qualitative answer, right? Mm -hmm. A quantitative answer, big old data nerd. Yes. Go to the <laughs> TEA website. Thank mm -hmm. you. And mm -hmm. sort for uh, Texas Academic 
Performance Report. Yes. TAPR. You're familiar with that? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So the TAPR report is available on every public school in Texas, whether it's traditional public or charter school. And you can find more data on there than you will ever want to look at Mm -hmm. about all sorts of things. Student performance, uh, staff education, staff salary, student staff ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Experience. You can even dig a little bit, uh, and I don't think it's on the TAPR report, but you can get discipline reports. So you can find a whole lot of data. They measure everything everything through PEMS in the state of Texas, and it's on those reports, either the TAPR report or other reports that are available through TEA. You may have to dig a little bit, but that's a great warehouse for all that. Yeah, and just a, um, a resource that may be less, um, go, that may go le- not as deep. What do you all think about great schools? Can I jump in there on Please, that? Please, I, uh, I think it's a good website, mm-hmm. um, however... Uh, you know, the anonymity behind a keyboard sometimes is a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. And so I would take the pros and the cons expressed on something like that with a grain of salt until I did my due diligence myself. Okay. You know, you you know what I mean? Because it's easy to slam a school just like it's easy to praise one too much that really maybe is not realistic. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would read and review that, but I would, I'd want, I'd want firsthand information as well. Yeah. And I know when you and I were looking for a house, we were, going on to great schools and kind of looking and seeing what schools were in the district and how they were rated and that was kind of where we started um, just to see you know whether or not we were going to be in a a good school district and and you know good school district is relative the schools and there are certain schools that are better and within the school districts as well one thing we used to do a long time ago and we've gotten back to it because it's a a great snapshot of what our campus has provided we call it a campus profile or campus spotlight and Mm -hmm. it has certainly has uh, assessment data but it also has responses from parent surveys. It's mm. our it's all our, our alternative to STAR that we like to promote because it's locally developed and it shows what our schools do in addition to what they are required to do from the state. And mm. so if you could find something like that that would give you a snapshot of what that campus life is like, that'd be really beneficial as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and also just within any given campus, you know, um, let's say there's a school that you know, maybe on the grade schools rating may not look as high, but I mean, there's always, you know, there there are tracks and there are great, you know, teachers and great courses that are still available. Uh, so you don't want to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater per se. Absolutely. I just say, oh, well, this is, they're all, you know, no, I mean, it, 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 it depends on you know what's happening in the school and you know the the nature of the students that are grouping there you know one school you would have thought I was a horrible teacher you looked at the data another school you would have thought I was a genius right uh, depending upon what school I was at in any given year but it wasn't necessarily that I was any better or worse I mean I got better and I grew as an educator uh, but yeah there but it, it's, it's not quite as black and white as my point is it's not quite as black and white as the numbers will indicate and it's goodness of fit for the kiddo involved you right. know, my own daughter uh, and I won't get into it too much but she changed schools her senior year the school she came from was a great school mm-hmm. the school she got to was was maybe not as uh, held up with such virtue she had a great experience both places right mm-hmm. yeah. great experience both places so you know and a lot of it has to do with the involvement of parents yeah so Absolutely. that makes a lot of the difference well, and Dr. Bonner and David both had very good points, but something else that's very relevant that we all know, and it's factual, that when you look for buying a home, if you're not looking at your school district, then you've made a big mistake mm-hmm. because good school districts are what sell homes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's yeah. what keeps your values up. And that's something that's just, if, you, if you're not familiar with that, <laughs> you need to make sure that that's on your number one radar. Mm-hmm. Strong families, right? Mm-hmm. Strong schools. 
and strong communities. You bet. Pull one of those out and you've got a problem, but if you have all three, you're going to have success. Absolutely. Um, So we've got a question from Jocelyn Walker. This is a great question. So the question is, how do you teach your child to respectfully engage with a teacher who, quote, doesn't like them or seems to be extra hard on them? It's a great question, mm-hmm. and I've had that so much, and, and I've even had to the point where parents want their child removed from that classroom. Yeah. However, if we think back to some of the teachers that were a little harder on us, but they saw something in us, mm-hmm. they pushed us to that level, you know, set the bar high, those are usually the teachers that we respect, more so than sometimes the cool teacher who let us get by with too much mm-hmm. or didn't push us like that other teacher did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's also cultural. Um, as far as respecting adults, uh, I've seen something just, I'm 60 years old, but I have seen how generational, how we have changed as far as respecting our elders. From my grandparents, how much they feared their parents. Right. And, to, and their to, teachers. And their teachers. Mm-hmm. And how much they respected. And now I have had kindergarten teachers come to me and say, I just had a student refuse. And this is more and more common. They've never heard the word no. Mm. Or I don't want to participate. And that's a child not respecting the teacher, of course. And so that makes it very hard. So uh, I think going back to the original question, I think respecting authority, respecting the teacher, and uh, giving it your best shot no matter is important for success. You know, working with uh, kiddos who are hesitant to to work in class or or whatever the issue is. I think some of that, how to manage that's a developmental issue, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were talking about a third grader, I would anticipate the teacher and the parent coming together and coming up with an action plan to put the kiddo in a position to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. Because uh, as parents, we're not going to be around for those juniors and senior students. They need to be handling that uh, sort of interaction with with adults. Um, In fact, they don't want you around to handle that in most cases. So, you know, Starting in in the the grade levels of elementary school where Miss Nickel was, that that's a really good opportunity for that. So as the kid promotes and grows, they can take on some of that ownership themselves. It also gives us as administrators a chance to work with staff on ways to handle that that situation with with parents and kids. Again, to to give the skills to the kid to to learn to handle situations on his own because they're going to face those in life. Yeah. And I have had to work with staff to to not be so you know rigorous right to not be so hard on it you know there might be first grader why do you have to put so many red marks on that paper Mm. there's other ways that you can you know can conference with the child individually hand it back to them and then maybe not mark up a paper so bad so that the child is scared to death of you or think that you're (laughs) picking on them so there's ways too that the administrator can also work with that teacher that maybe they need to make some changes that they're coming across too hard on a child, especially in the elementary level. Yeah. But again, I have to be empathetic with the teachers when I have a teacher that comes to me and says, I just had a, a, a child in kindergarten tell me, make me. You know, I don't mm. want to leave the computer lab or I don't want to do this, make me. You know, those are things that never happened, like I said, back in uh, generations previous to us. Right, in a different time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, we just want to take a quick break to say um, if you have any questions or comments, we have uh, Dr. Buddy Bonner, and um, who's an associate 
a superintendent in Louisville ISD and education advocate Belinda Nickel, and they're answering any question that you have that is educated related, education related. So give us a call at 214-431-5062. Uh, another question we had was from uh, Willie in Arlington. He wanted to know why they did away with nuisance tickets, which I had never heard of, which is uh, disturbing the peace tickets. Distri for oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Disturbing the t peace tickets for fighting in schools. Parents were given tickets and paid fines for misbehaving students back in the day. I think Willie is referencing uh, something in the last several years. And um, if I understand the question correctly, it's an effort by the state to decriminalize some activity that students mm. um, were formerly being ticketed for at campus. In other words, uh, if there's a fight in a campus, um, and I'm not an attorney, so forgive me, but certainly you could ticket someone or, or arrest someone for assault. You could also handle it as a fight at school. Mm -hmm. And so um, within the past six, seven, eight years, there's been an effort by the legislature to decriminalize some activities at school, and I think that's what he's probably referring to. Mm -hmm. And I, I would think that that's probably a good measure to do because there, there probably was um, a disparity in the kids that were that they chose for it to be a fight versus the ones that they chose to. Danita, I think you're probably exactly correct. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to make it a, a felony or um, well, and where does that ticket for it? Where does that stop? Um, right. Uh, you can criminalize a student through um, uh, truancy. Mm -hmm. You could also issue tickets for um, words that are being spoken, disturbing the pieces. I think is what the caller mm -hmm. uh, referenced. I mean, so where does that? Where does that stop, and does it reflect what goes on in communities? Mm -hmm. So, anyway, I think that's probably what, what he's aiming at. Yeah. Uh, so we have Mac that had a question here about zoning for schools. Hi, my name is Mac. I would like to know how uh, the schools come up with zoning, determine what, what, uh, what homes are, are going to go to which schools. So I spoke to Mac about this, and he was saying that there's a high school in his neighborhood that's closer than the high school that his children are allowed to go to. So he wants to know how that's decided. Um, all those are local decisions by the Board of Trustees in a traditional public school district. Charter schools don't have zones, right? Mm -hmm. They take attendance from wherever the kiddos come from. Right. But in traditional public schools, those are all uh, administrative decisions made at the board level. And so uh, if Mac does not um, uh, like how he's zoned or if he wants to get uh, a deviation from that, he should talk to the administrator that's responsible for making those proposals and bring them to the board. Hmm. Um, um, in our district, at least, we have flexed that uh, in an effort to satisfy customer demand, just to be real frank. And so we have a, an appeal process, and, and we're pretty fluid in, in most instances. Uh, we haven't always been. Uh, that's been a change with time. But um, to the specific question, uh, the local board of trustees sets the zones uh, in a district. Mm -hmm. And to his question, I know in Louisville they did have more, they have opened up the policy where you can transfer okay. uh, to, to make it even a school that's further away from your zone. Mm -hmm. But as far as his question is how do they come up with devising those zones, I know in Grapevine, Colleyville, um, they, years ago when they opened up their new high school, uh, Colleyville Heritage, um, they made sure, and I was really impressed with the 
you know, research that, that went into it, but they wanted to make sure that their two high schools were equal right. uh, as far as socioeconomic level, and right. that is huge. Uh, for example, you don't want to have one that's got all of the, um, you know, low end or high end or whatever because mm-hmm. that, that's not fair mm-hmm. and so they some of their, their if you look at their zoning their boundaries uh they pick up um a large part of the hispanic population mm-hmm. at both ca- campuses it's almost equal that's a great point point. and same thing with apartment complexes right. when you look at uh you typically that's a transient population mm-hmm. and so they try to equalize that i know my first principal job i had 15 apartments mm-hmm. and um I would have, back before everything was computerized, I'd have to buy extra grade books for teachers because we had so many people coming in and out. Mm-hmm. So I think that a lot of school boards, like, like Dr. Bonner said, they all have various reasons. But that's probably one of the biggest reasons why sometimes the zones. Or you also have to look at the overcrowding situation. If mm-hmm, you have a yeah. campus that's got 800 and then you have one that's uh, two miles away that's only 300, you're going to have to equalize that. Mm-hmm. And that's the rationale behind the zones for a lot of districts. Right. So Elliot from Duncanville had a question about facilities. He said um, that in some schools, I'm trying to read the question here, um, funding is allotted differently in some schools versus other schools. And he noted that there's crime in some schools, leaky roofs, window units instead of central air. And he wanted to know how um, funding is allotted for uh, some schools versus others. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, not not knowing the specifics that Elliot's dealing with, it'd be really hard to answer that, just to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what he's talking about are facilities issues, and school districts, traditional public school districts, um, have interest in sinking taxes that they're able to levy to do building, construction, capital outlay, and repair. So if, if that's what he's alluding to, it sounds like maybe it might be time for consideration of a bond election mm. to, do, to do some building repair and, and upgrades and maintenance. That almost sounds like deferred maintenance. Um, on the district side, uh, um, districts provide budgetary funds to individual campuses, usually on a, a per capita basis, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about facilities issues and that's interest in sinking funds tax funds uh charter schools do not have that mm-hmm. uh, they get they get their total money from the state and so that is a, a difference um between the two types of public schools traditional public and charter schools and you mentioned a bond election uh there's many parents out there that don't understand what that means and how you would vote we we did an episode recently about voting for your school board mm-hmm. and we're we're trying to be educated parents and knowing how to vote so what is a bond and how does that work and so so there's two pots of money in traditional public schools one is called maintenance and operations funding and another bucket is called interest in sinking and you don't mix those two okay mm-hmm. maintenance and operations is, are general taxes that are levied each year on uh, the assessed value of a home or a, a residence or a, pro- a property and the, the tax revenue generated from that funds schools and that's for things like teacher pay curricular supplies etc cetera, etc cetera. the other interest in sinking is a tax rate levied by the uh, board uh, but uh, based on a bond vote uh, the district needs x million dollars to construct a new building mm-hmm. that that proposition would go to the voters they would approve the the amount of money needed for that construction 
and the district residents would be assessed a tax rate to fulfill that bond obligation. Mm -hmm. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so th as a concerned parent, concerned citizen, this is something that you can bring up to your school board and say that, you know, this facility, this school, we, we don't have window units. We, you know, the, we've got leaky roofs. We've got rats or roaches or whatever. That's and absolutely right. Then they can start to put some measures into place. It so sounds like Elliot needs to talk to some board members. Yeah, if absolutely. I'm just, if I'm just being honest, because mm -hmm. that, that, that's no that's no environment for a public school. Yeah, absolutely. Or any school, for that matter. And I do want to compliment Louisville. I was honored to work in Louisville ISD. I'd also been in, in Tulsa Public, and it was a big difference coming down from Tulsa to to Union. I mean, we went from Union and then to Louisville. But uh, every year, they did a great job as far as I had a campus that was 26 years old, and it looks brand new because of the way that they kept on upgrading, whether, uh, you know, making the building look nice and, and very functional. And that's something that I think that it varies from school district, and you can go into a broader range with Robin Hood as far as rich districts versus poor districts and how mm -hmm. that money is distributed, but that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we had a lot of questions about textbooks as well. Let's start with Anna. Hi, I'm Anna from Mansfield, and I have a question concerning textbooks. Our kids have all kinds of things um, to learn from, and pages from textbooks, workbooks, iPads, and other digital media, but I miss the days of having actual books. So if your child has a question or gets stuck on something, it gives you a better opportunity to go back and review the chapter and kind of refresh on how they are teaching the subject matter, especially with subjects like math. And I really just miss the days of having books. I know the kids don't miss carrying them around, but somehow I think it may be a missing link in our being able to help our children more adequately thank you it's a great question and that's a debate that's been going on for years and years I guess it all goes back to something as simple as the textbooks become outdated almost the minute they're published mm. just like encyclopedias how many of us still go back and look at encyclopedias when we can google or have them exactly <laughs> exactly and so unfortunately um, it is a digital day mm -hmm. digital content that's how people communicate, and I think that the expense of the textbooks has become such an issue. I agree, especially in math. I love seeing a hard copy. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's a workbook or whatever. I think that's just a lot more, uh, it's, for me, that's easier to, I need something instead of looking at it on a screen. Yeah. But uh, I know Dr. Bonner probably can tell us a little well, bit more from the finance part of it. You know, we're living in very disruptive times as far as that's concerned, right? Because you can get every book you need on this phone mm -hmm. or this mm -hmm. iPad and um, that's easier on a, a kiddo to carry around yeah right? so because I mean there's the backpacks are yeah weighed so, down when they have all those yeah and we're also dealing with some generational issues right I mean I'm 52 years old we'll be next week and I, I kind of like to have that book as well my kid doesn't want to carry a book around she mm -hmm. wants her iPad and so uh, it's a it's a disruptive time as we transition from one one format textbooks to another right um, interestingly uh, the the publishers have not dropped the the cost of digital materials now, really? now now let's talk about that for a second don't you think it's probably a little cheaper to produce in mass <laughs> <Just> a little <laughs> bit but they've not dropped 
and I, I don't mean to throw rocks at them, but that's just that's the fact of the matter that, that wow. our curriculum and, and uh, learning and teaching department has experience in making these purchases on a, a, an annual basis. So, um, so we're still living in disruptive times, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, something that I read is that um, comprehension is not as high when you're reading off of a screen or scrolling off of a tablet or something like that mm-hmm. as it is in textbooks. Uh, so, have you guys heard that or? come up against that I don't know that's something that you it's kind of a person's preference as well like Mm -hmm. when you know a person do they want to read the book on a Kindle or on their iPhone or on their Mm -hmm. iPad versus a hard copy Uh, and are they comprehending that any differently Um, I haven't seen any research that says that that's that's not the case I think it's kind of the individual preference um, because you can still flip back on a Kindle you can still flip back on the iPhone so I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sold on that mm-hmm. but um, I certainly understand that there's times and places where I prefer a hard copy to look at and, and you know partly to the caller's question a, a campus a school needs to provide the the style that the kiddo needs yes right so if if mom is very involved and wants to help with math homework, mm-hmm. then we better have a classroom copy of that math textbook that, that kiddo can good. take home. Right. Right. End of story. Excellent point. You know, Excellent end of point. story. So. Yeah. Um, I, I know the, 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 the challenges as a teacher as well as even, you know, when you don't have a textbook or just even creating curriculum, uh, we had to, a lot of times, I had to piece stuff together because there wasn't a teacher edition. Right. Of curriculum I have to go through mm-hmm. so we have the concepts but I had okay I had to pull from here and here and here as well you know and so um, what would you say to uh, families who don't have the resources uh, let's say the district doesn't give them like a one-to-one tablet or or something and they can't afford a phone at home or you know or a tablet or even computer access because some children don't have access to those things so how how are they to you know learn when they don't have those resources as easily accessible as maybe other people do. So we've found that uh, in our rollout where we provide a device to every kiddo and they can take it home, we found that um, the majority, the clear majority in the 90th percentile have access at home. And that's across hmm. income, that's across income really? levels. Yeah. Okay. And, and most of them are through a phone. And they've, yeah. Got, yeah. and they've got That's Wi-Fi somewhere. Yeah. So that made us feel a little bit better. But to your point about what's the teacher do? I mean, it's seventh period, and the battery's not charged anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, we're again, we're in disruptive times. Where as a teacher, David, I know you dealt with this. Oh yeah. The iPad was out of juice. And I've got to get the textbook going because that's where the materials are. So I mean, you've got to be um, you've got to be flexible in your approach. Right. And 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 that's a challenge, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, we had a couple of questions about the importance of play and recess. So, this is Tracy. Hi, I'm Tracy, oh, Tracy. from Irby, Texas. Oh. And I'm curious to know about extended recess time and if that can be remedied somehow across the state. Tracy, that's an excellent question. And some districts are already making changes towards that, especially from the previous question when we're going to uh, textbooks that are on the computer. Mm -hmm. The kids need a break. It's a multimedia age these days. Mm -hmm. And I know 
where my grandkids go to school, it's they have two recesses a day now. Mm-hmm. And that was unheard of back wow. when I was yeah, no. a principal. And that is something that I think that they're, they see that our kids need a break. Even when they go home, oftentimes they might go home for a snack and then they'll go and get straight on the iPad or mm-hmm. watch television. They need a multimedia break. And being outside is one of the best things that you can do for children. As far as the state coming and making it a law that we change recess to a man you know mandated one hour a day i don't see that happening i think it's up to the district's discretion and even to the home campus how it works with their schedule Mm -hmm. with their master schedule Mm -hmm. and the american academy of pediatrics says that uh, they recommend that children participate in 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity per day which you know we we're always trying to encourage our kids to get out on their scooters, yeah, get out in the is. backyard, turn off the TV, absolutely, put away the tablets, and go get some vitamin D mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. some fresh air. Well, and that's the changing times. How many times have we seen? I see it with my own grandkids. It's a way of of, of a babysitter. You know, uh-huh. put put a video on from Netflix, or you know, hand it to them. You see how many cars do you see with you know uh, built-in televisions? And so it's sad, but I, I'm a big advocate. I, Tracy, I'm right there 100% behind you mm-hmm. outside. Yeah, I'm honestly an advocate of, um, of both because I have had yes. th- three young kids at the same time. <laughs> and a, a tablet has saved my life oh, more I, than once. <laughs> I've been there. Guilty as charged. <laughs> but fresh air and vitamin D is very important as well. Agree. Is there anything else we wanted to quickly um well, hit on yeah, before well, we because we have like one minute left. <laughs> yeah, well, just just an aside note. Um, I know it's also the taking away of home economics. Mm. Um, I, I took you know wood shop and, and metal shop and uh, you know we had a, a kitchen and we baked things and you know taking some of those concepts that we learned in class and putting them to use in the, in the especially like in math like just in a different context. So. Um, I, I miss my pain. I just I wish those were back. I think kids could really benefit from them, uh, but I don't know where they. I mean, unless you're in a track now, but it was just a part of the core curriculum. Anyway, that's just. Fine. I never took home ec. You did. Mm-mm. You missed out. Did I? Yeah, you did. Mm. Good stuff. Is that why I don't like cooking today? Um, I can cook. Let's let's clarify. Y- yes. I don't enjoy it. Y- yes. See, well, I took home home economics. And you love cooking, right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. I mean, when I, once I get into it. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I agree with you, David. I think vocational training needs to come back. Um, that's one of our problems in America. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, we need people who will do vocational activity, yeah. do vocational jobs. Um, I've been, I've traveled a lot since I've retired, and I've been to many countries, and, and I still see that vocation vocational training is needed everywhere yeah absolutely there's a there's a book called the Sabretooth curriculum it was written in the 1930s and the premise of the book was every time you want to add something into the curriculum what we as educators do is we don't take anything out mm. mm-hmm. and so let's do some family and consumer science right let's yeah. add let's add a bunch of that and let's add a bunch of woodworking but what are you going to take out and we don't do that we just keep adding mm-hmm. and so that's really the quandary is what's what's important What's important for a child to know and is going to put them in a position to be successful moving forward? And it might be family and consumer science for this group of kiddos, mm-hmm. you know. And you got to put some choice, and we want kids to enjoy school. But that's a, that's a, uh, that's a curricular issue that, uh, you know, where are you going to spend your time? 
and your and your resources. And so it's an interesting it's an interesting question. Yeah, that's uh, why we've lost cursive, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. something had to to go. We did have a caller that had that question. That, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we didn't exactly. get to get to everybody today. It goes back to multimedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. So thank you guys both so much for answering our questions and being kind of on the hot seat today. <laughs> um, as we always want to do is let you guys know what's happening with Noggin. So what's going on with Noggin Educational Coaching, Dave? Um, so, you know, we're beginning to transition into the um, summer, and I know one of the things we always you know, encourage our families to do is to reflect back on the school year and think about what are those areas and gaps uh, that uh, your child needs to grow in um, from the previous school year, uh, because as they move into the next grade level, uh, the this information that they learn does not go away. So uh, we encourage uh, academic enrichment, uh, small group coaching as well um, to help your child there. Uh, there's just, there are also students who are, who are looking to get ready for, uh, there's still time for test prep for the fall um, and, and more closely for the, the June SATs and ACTs as well. So we can come alongside you there, but really just starting to think forward and getting ready for what's coming around the corner so that your child can hit the ground running in the fall. So if you want to find out more, go to noggineducation.com. Uh, and find out more about the services that we provide. Um, We'd be happy to talk with you and and how we can serve you uh, for the end of the school year to finish well, but also to get ramped up for uh, the next school year as well. And with Noggin Educational Foundation, Foundation, we are gearing up for the summer with our summer math and reading program, Spark. So if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, we would love for you guys to come and help us to put together our activities. We need you to cut and paste and assemble activities, and uh, we will probably also maybe buy you a little pizza and put on some music, <laughs> and we have a good time. So uh, reach out to us at info at nogginfoundation.org so what's happening next week so next week uh, on school days we're going to welcome Jorge Gamma from the Mending Clinic who will give us tools and tips for helping our children fail well it almost sounds like an oxymoron but uh, you'll have to tune in next week to check that out so please uh, tune in next week with us yeah, I'm really interested in that um, in what Jorge has to share, share about that because a lot of people have a fear of failure, but with the proper perspective, we can use failure as a stepping stone to reach our goals, right? That's right. That's right. So as always, head to our website, schooldayshow.com for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Stitcher, and really anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. And as always, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. And we always want to end our show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and the strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you want to know more about that, email us at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week.